gentlemen. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you today. Um, if you're listening online or if you're here in the building, whatever you're listening, um, we are in the, in the series called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. Um, we've got this week and one more week, and then we move on to the next series, but I'm having a blast with this. Um, as you know, if you know me well, I ask a lot of questions. I never stops. In fact, the older I get, the more, I, more questions I have. Um, and when somebody told me um, I was about uh, 17 years old when a guy came to preach at our church, I don't remember anything else he said, um, which... Uh, maybe happens to you when the preacher talks sometimes, but you key on one thing, you know, and then you don't hear anything else. I was 17 years old. I remember where I was sitting at Ellisville Christian Church when this guy stood on the stage and he said, you can't ask a question that offends God. Uh, well, I can think of a couple right now. <laughs> and he said, I know you're thinking of a couple right now. <laughs> went, Whoa. He said, you can't find a question that God hasn't been asked. And you can't think of something that God doesn't know you're thinking about. So he said, you won't believe what will happen. I was 17 years old. You won't believe what will happen when you finally can go, God, what is that? God, who said, why, when you said this, why did you say this? God, why do you let people feel like this? Why do you let hunger? Why do you let this? And he said, you can't ever ask a question that offends God. And I'll tell you what, since that day, I've been trying. I have been in my mind coming up with questions. And when I hit something in my life that feels gross as a Christian, when I, when I hit something in my life or I read a piece of the Bible or I hear somebody, another preacher, say something about God or something God feels, there's always this moment where I go, really? <laughs> that doesn't sound like the God I worship. Or that doesn't sound like who I want to be or the kinds of things that I want to be involved in. So I start asking questions and I start digging. And you need to know that this sermon is called FAQ and we're asking questions. But your preacher does this every single week. Every sermon I preach, this is the way I preach sermons. When something comes up and I see, man, those people are struggling with this and I'm struggling with this, I need to start asking some questions. And those questions lead to more questions, which lead to more questions, which lead to more questions. And as we answer those questions, and some of them get answered, some of them don't, we come up with more. And every time we ask a question, we get closer to God. So, what I'd love for you to do today is have an open mind. I've been praying about that. I've been thinking about that. Those of you who are older Christians, I'm starting to resonate with you, turning 40 today. I know, that's not That's not what I mean. But those of you who are older Christians and you have the thought in your mind, I know what I believe. And I know what this is and what that is and what the Bible says about this and what the Bible says about that. And I'm holding strong to it and you can't change my mind. You need to know today that God wants to change your mind. He does. Those things that you're right about, He wants you to grow in humility. And change the way you think about them. Those things that you're wrong about, but you think you're right about. And by the way, you don't know the difference right now. So you better be listening. Those things that you're wrong about, that you think you're right about, will destroy your reputation. And will hurt his, if you're not careful. So as we think about this, and as we go through these things, I'm going to ask a question today that's going to challenge you. I'm going to, I'm going to pose a couple questions today that I'm not going to answer. And it's going to make you think more. What, what it's not intended to do is make you question your faith past 
diving deep into what you believe, um, and I'm excited about what it might do for you today and what it's going to do for me. As I was preparing for this this morning, um, I, I do this every Sunday. Poor Risha, she's in the back with the kids, and then she, ha- she gets the worst of, of, of my sermon because I, she gets it as I'm preparing it, you know? So I preach it to her all week, and then on the way here, I'm like trying to work it out a little bit still in my mind. And so we'll get halfway here, and about halfway to, to Martinsville, you know, from Bloomington, all the orange barrels, and I'm just kind of getting zoned out, you know? And, and I'm, I'm kind of preaching to her what I'm going to say to you. And at one point, I just stopped and I say, I said, well, what? But then if that's true, then what about this? And Risha goes, are you answering questions today or asking questions? I'm probably going to ask more questions than I'm going to answer. So if that drives you nuts, welcome to New Life. Um, because that's just who we are. We feel like the more questions we can ask, the more God will pour into us. And so that's the spirit we want today. The other thing is, you won't care about questions, about answers, about anything in your life if you can't get quiet today. And what I mean by quiet is not just verbally or whatever. I mean, if you can't calm your life in some way. So no matter what you believe, whether you, you're kicking the tires on the God thing, whether you don't believe this stuff at all, I don't know why you're here, but I'm glad you are. If you don't believe it at all, my guess is there's a little bit in there. If you're listening online and somebody has, has asked you to listen to this, then um, just give this moment, right this moment, as a, as, a, as a chance to get your heart right and to just calm your life so that you can be open-minded and ready to listen. Let's have just a quick moment, 30 seconds or so, um, and then I'll close with some prayer in that, and we'll jump right in this morning. God, thanks for a little bit of quiet. Probably the most quiet this building's had in a week. God, would you calm our hearts today? All the stuff that we brought in. Anything in us that is arrogant, adamant, sure of ourselves, would you start to soften? And everything in us that is humble and aches to be closer to you, would you bring it to the top? And we'll listen. God, in this room there are people who are struggling with all different types of things. Would you calm them today, no matter what it is, and give them focus, and we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. As we keep going through this series, I, I want to remind you of a couple things we've said so far. A um, couple of these statements, they were really easy for me to write, and, uh, and, but man, they've, they've sure got some opinions going. If you're, if you're trying to communicate with me on Facebook right now, I am sorry, I am dark on Facebook right now. I have, I've turned off Facebook for a little bit. I just had a couple of bad weeks with 
my heart breaking a little bit with some things that have been said, and I, my Facebook responses are pretty much not anything right now. So feel free to grab an email address for me or something for right now. I don't, I'm not getting off of it, but I'm just taking a break. Um, so, but but I, I've gotten a lot of emails this week. I may have gotten some Facebook messages too, my guess is I have, with a lot of questions, um, which is exactly what this is supposed to do, um, is to raise some questions. And a couple of them have to do with these statements. The first one is this, that faith without questions is dangerous. And I believe this fervently, I believe this firmly, that if you have this faith in your life that you are so sure of that you, there is no room for questions or no room for doubt or no room for any kind of movement, you're in a dangerous place. Or if you have what some people like to call blind faith, usually when they, call, when they say the words blind faith, they're saying it in a good connotation. But the truth is blind faith is not what you're called to. It's not what God wants from you. To just randomly jump off of something is not what God intends for you. And, and the, the, it's actually a very dangerous thing to do. This is how cults get started. This is how good people end up going in places they would have never dreamed to go because they just believe without thinking. That is dangerous. Faith without questions is arrogant. It is arrogant to not question what you're feeling, what you're thinking. Uh, right now, part of the reason I'm off of Facebook is because I don't want to be associated with a religion that has to be right at all costs, that believes that they know every answer to every question and there's no room for error, no room for me being a little bit wrong. And if, if I'm right, that means you're always wrong. And I, I just, it breaks my heart and it's not what God wants from us. It comes off as arrogant. Faith without questions, one of the things that it does that I think is the most damaging in, in all of what we do at church and all of how we think about God is that it builds these little walls in our lives. And if you, if you, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, I actually brought some blocks to show you what I mean by this. You have to go back to that sermon. Um, but, uh, but a faith wall is something that, that, that we, we do to our kids often where we build these tenets. We build these strong, firm beliefs that this won't change and this is always true and if this is always true and this is always true and this is always true, then you can build the things that are a little less true on top of those and then the things that are a little less true on top of that and then eventually you have a wall and that sounds like a really good idea until at some point that kid, your son, your daughter, your granddaughter, who you've built this faith wall for decides to go to college and when they go to college they sit in front of a wonderful professor who's the smartest person they've ever met and the professor says all of those things your grandpa said aren't true and they start to believe that they start to agree with him a little bit and because you've built a wall whose foundations are built on these things their faith is not in God their faith is in their wall and as the wall starts to shake a little bit at the bottom, the whole thing comes down. So kids who grew up in church and who have always believed what they believe, they move on, and when they move on, one little thing starts to shake and the whole thing falls down. This is not the way God intends for our faith to be. That we hold strong to the truths that we read in the Bible, to the truths that we know to be from God, but at the same time, our faith is in our Creator, not in the wall that we've created from our religion. If that confused you or if that's a big deal to you and you don't agree with me, go back and listen to a couple weeks ago. I spent a lot of time on that. You still might not agree with me, but at least you understand it. Um, so today when I, we've talked about a couple different things, major questions in our faith, things that, uh, that people don't like to talk about, things that don't get answered very much. One of those questions that we dealt with last week was where is God? 
Um, and I had a couple of you send me emails um, this week, um, probably Facebook messages, sorry if I didn't get those, um, that just said, you know, I, I don't know how, I, I want to talk to my kids differently. Um, because we said we got to start talking to our kids differently. We don't say anymore, God be with me, God be with them, because according to God, he's already here. And it would be like saying to our friend, hey, would you go to the movies with me while we're sitting at the movies with my friend? You know, like, wait a minute, that's where we're at. We're, we're doing that. And so we need to talk differently. And when we talk to our kids about where God is, we don't talk about him being up there somewhere because they know that millions and millions and billions of miles of, of space is what we've seen. And so he must be above that. And he begins to seem far away. So last week we, we asked the question, where is God? And we got some I think some good answers, but we also got some more questions. This is the point of this. And this week, I want to ask a question that, man, this is a hot topic. This is a really, really hot topic. And the truth is, when I told Risha, she knows how I feel about, about this topic, um, and I have gotten in trouble in the church before t- talking about this topic. Um, and so when she found out I was preaching about this topic today, she said, oh, I really like where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do that again. I said, no, 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 I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that again. But I, I want to tell you candidly some questions that I have about the Bible and some questions that I know you have about the Bible. But at some point in your life, somebody has made you feel as though you can't ask those questions. Made you feel as though that the Bible is untouchable, that somehow this is the thing that we can't ask any questions about that we can't push on, that we can't say the things that we're thinking about. So today, I'm going to bring up some of those things. But bigger than that, I want to tell you a story from the Bible today that you've heard before. Even if you're not a God person, you have heard this story before. And I want to tell it differently. And what I'm hoping today, I want to tell it differently than you've ever heard it. And what I'm hoping today is that you'll see the way God intends for us to deal with this thing. Okay, I pulled this one out from underneath the the pulpit thing today. Um, The truth is... Most of you either have one of these or have seen one of these. We often say there's one in the back of the pew. You can take it with you. And we treat it very carefully. Um, and, you know, when I was a kid, we used to say a pledge allegiance to this thing. You know, you'd hold it up and you would, I pledge allegiance to the Bible. God's holy word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. And I can remember it today. And I remember the kind of the cadence to it. And I remember then that you'd put it down and you'd pledge allegiance to the United States. And you would say that flag. And, and, and this from a very little kid, there's been something hollowed and something very, very spiritual about the physical, tangible book that is in front of me, which was printed by Zondervan. And it's, this one is leather, um, although it's really not. It's one of those cheap leathers. And the truth is, it's, it, to the people that sold it to you and the, and the people that made it, it's a book. So the question is, what is the Bible? This is a, such a big question right now that I've got to tell you, first of all, that I'm not going to completely answer that today. But I'm going to tell you what I believe th- that God wants you to do with this thing in your life. How to read it how he intends for you to think about it, and how he intends for it to impact your life. And um, again, come see me if you need my email address. You will. A um, couple questions about the Bible that are going to get us rolling right now. And I'm going to answer a couple of these, but some of them are going to left unanswered. Some things maybe you never thought about or didn't know about. Check this one out first. Um, did you know, if you're a God person, this may shake your faith a little bit, and that it's intended to kind of get you asking. In 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel says that a man named El, uh, Elhanan, or Elhanan killed Goliath. Whoa! You mean the big guy, the nine-foot guy that David had five smooth stones and slung it? He can, whoa! 
Hopefully that's not Goliath. <laughs> that's strange. I think they have the wrong door. Oh, they're there. Hey, guys. <laughs> Welcome. We need a sign on that door. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, goodness. Oh, So, yeah, did you know that... So the story that we've heard about Goliath, we've heard from the David, the little, the little shepherd boy. And you know the story. And man, if you watch ESPN, you hear them talk about David and Goliath and the big school that gets beat by the little school. This is a, a huge story. But nobody says that in 2 Samuel, the Bible says that a man named Elhanan killed Goliath. What do you do with that? Now let me tell you what churches have done with it in my life. We've hoped you didn't find that. It's just true. We hope nobody ever brings that up. I remember when I was in college, somebody in my class said this. Well, we were, t- we, were, we were dealing with the Old Testament, and our Old Testament professor, one of the kids said, hey, what do you do with this piece of Scripture? And he says, I- here's what I always do. Next! And I remember sitting there going, I've got to get out of here. Because God's bigger than that. These, these questions that I have, God's big enough for. There's never a moment in your life where God goes, hope they don't ask it, pass. <laughs> right? Now, I, I'm gonna, I don't want to just leave you hanging on this specific topic. The truth is, there are lots of study about this. And if you type this into Google, you'll find all kinds of stuff. What I believe, just between you and me, I believe that Goliath was actually a, 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 a name that was used for huge men and huge people who were scary and needed to be killed. And I think there was probably more than one Goliath. And I don't think that it's a contradiction. I think that that also tells us something about the story of David and Goliath and about what it's meant to be and the fact that maybe he really wasn't nine feet tall it doesn't matter how big Goliath was because there was probably even another Goliath at the point and the point is that God takes the the little people and the little small things and he gives you power and even the biggest strongest worst things you can possibly imagine God with his help you can get through them that's the point of David and Goliath not the fact that he was a big giant and there was only one and that was his name and he was nine feet tall that's not the point and when you make that the point you can live however you want and talk about a giant you see what I'm saying so the, 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 the Bible has all kinds of questions. Why do the resurrection accounts in the four different Gospels differ on be, different things? There are all kinds of little places in the Gospels. You're like, well, Matthew said this and Luke said this. And if you're a literalist, if you look at this and go, wow, man, there's, there's contradictions. But if you look at it from a deep perspective, you go, wait a minute, Matthew was a real dude who had a real perspective and a real writing style, and he had a whole new life. And Luke was a different kind of guy who was a doctor, and he was really specific. And so, sure, they're going to say two different things. And apparently, God felt like, you know what? I want you guys to hear both of them. So here they are. But if you're not careful, these things will scare you. Why aren't there, this one bothered me for a long time, why aren't there in your Bible, this is a frequently asked question in your brain that you may have never asked out loud, why aren't there any clear statements against slavery or polygamy in the Bible? Why can't I go to the Bible and say, slavery is wrong? Why is it that God didn't at some point say very specifically, very articulately, do not own somebody? (laughs) That seems easy, doesn't it? Why is it 
did God not say very articulately, very explicitly, and you can make up a couple places and you can kind of twist the words and preachers have done this for a long time. But the truth is God never says within the Bible's pages, it is never said that you shouldn't have more than one wife. Why? Well, the, the truth is the Bible isn't exhaustive. When I was a kid, the, many, many people said this, I heard it over and over in my life that the Bible is a manual for your life. It's the ultimate owner's manual for your life. And I know that sounds really good. But the truth is, when I get an owner's manual for my car, and something is wrong with, like, the, and this is how bad I am working on my car, if the turn signal isn't working, I've got to go to the owner's manual figure out what's going on. And I can look up turn signal. And it is almost always easy to find, and it is almost always tells me exactly what to do. The truth is, when you're raising your kids, and one of them's having a, a, an addiction to pornography, you can't go to the back of the Bible and say, addiction to pornography, children, and know what to do about it. And if somebody has sold you that the Bible has every answer to every question you have ever asked, then you're going to be disappointed, and we haven't talked about this in the church. The truth is, the Bible is bigger. It's better than a manual. It's more important than that. Don't reduce it to that. I told you I was going to get you thinking today. Now, full disclosure, okay? I do this every now and then when I preach. This is, the, this is my understanding of the Bible and of God, and as a preacher, this is the way I prepare my sermons. You're going to see a little bit of the way I put a sermon together today. Full disclosure, I always start with the humans in a story in the Bible. Whether it's a story, whether it's a, it, even if it's not a story, it's just something that was written in the Bible, I always start with the humans because I believe this is the way God intended for you to read the Bible. It's to not go, what did God say about this? But to say, why did this person say this at this point in time with this reason? And that's why a lot of you have, have listened to my sermons over the years. I'm not a great preacher. I am not a very articulate person. I am a hillbilly hick. But part of the reason you like, some of you like listening to me is because, you, and you even say this, you make the stories come to life. Now what I do is I bring out the humanity in it. And that's what makes it come to life. Because I believe that's the way God intended for us to read the Bible. So don't read your Bible void of humans. Don't ever do that. I don't believe that the humanity should be separated from the divinity in our story. You should never go, well, this is the part that God did and this is the part that humans did. The truth is, God has always delivered his messages using humans. He's still doing it now. As you speak... Um, as I speak, as we sit here right now, God is using a human to deliver you a message. And this is what he's done with the Bible. If you remove the human, completely dismiss the person that wrote it, the person that it was meant for, and the person who's, who's the lead in the story, you have missed a huge part of the message. If you come to this church long enough, I've been here nine years now, and this is the longest I've ever been in a church. Uh, this longest I've ever been, they've, they've usually fired me long before now. <laughs> and and I, I, the truth is, I've always heard that longevity in ministry was so good, and I've, I, I found it to be true. That the longer I've been here, the more I get to know you, and the more I can go, boy, this whole, there's this whole problem we're having with this. And, that, and the more, longer we've been here, the more you get to know me. And when you hear me preach, you can go, man, he's turning 40 tomorrow. I know that guy. He's in the middle of a move. And, and as you listen to me, all of those things matter to you. 
They all matter as I say what I'm saying. You know what my life is. You know what I struggle with. You know that I struggle with anxiety and depression, many of you. And so when I say something about being dark and deep, you know how that feels to me. And if you miss those in the Bible who are delivering the message, if you miss their lives, if you miss who they are, if you miss what what they actually are saying and who the people are they're saying, you've missed more than half of the message that God intended for you to get. I spend my time finding out why these people wrote these things at these times. Have you ever heard the word Bible study? If you've been in church long enough, you've heard the word Bible study. Some of you fell asleep when I said the words. You know, but let's just be honest. For some people really enjoy sitting and hashing out for two hours, Romans chapter 2, verse 6, but most of us don't. And when I was in Bible college, I couldn't stay awake. Because I didn't care what the Greek word was for this, and I didn't want to, what I wanted to know was who was that guy that wrote this. If you think of Bible study as parsing words and those kinds of things, you're going to be bored. But if you think of it as who wrote this, who was the guy that wrote this, what was going on in history at that time, and who are the people that are supposed to read this, that is a whole different way of looking at these ancient texts. I believe that whatever divine we find in the Bible, Whatever inspirational God moment we have with the Bible, we find through the humans in the Bible and not around it. We don't look at a piece of Scripture and go, boy, those people were messed up, but what does God have to say? We don't look at a piece of Scripture and go, I don't remember, I don't even know who wrote that, but God said this. No, we go, God used this man named Jonah who had this baggage and this life to say this thing. And so, wait a minute, I have that baggage. So how must he have said, well, he said that like this, and that's how I would say it resonates with you differently, and that's how God intended for the Bible to be written and the Bible to be read. So are there weird little mistakes? Are there strange, common, like weird uh, commonalities? And then at times, like, what was that? And I don't understand that. Absolutely, because from the beginning of time, God has chosen to use human beings to deliver his message, and he will always do that. That's why there are moments in my sermons when I screw up. That's why there are moments in my sermons where I just, I just you know, I, I just didn't preach a good one this week. You know, I just didn't, I just kind of flopped, you know. And there are moments where God uses the biggest flops and he makes the best sermons out of them because of, of, of the humans involved and not just around them. And we need to get some perspective on the Bible today. So here's where we're going. And I've got to move because I've got a story I want to tell you with all of this in mind. As we read the Bible, as you read your Bible and you go, why did God say that? And if you haven't actually asked that question, at least in your mind, you haven't read the Bible. <laughs> Because there's some things that are in the Bible that make you just go, whoa, that is awful. Or, oh my gosh, I don't think I want to think about what the implications are to that. And the truth is, when we get to those moments and we have those questions, um, these are some questions that we're going to ask. And as I, as I tell you the story today, I don't know how this is going to go. I've never preached a sermon like this. I'm kind of I'm pre- preaching my sermon inside out today. I, this is how I would preach a sermon. I would find this story, and today we're going to talk about Jonah and the big fish. I have no flannel graphs, and I have nothing up here like we do for the kids today. I I promise you're going to look at it a little bit differently today. But we're going to talk about Jonah and the big fish today, and I want to pick it apart. I want to look at it from these perspectives. Why did these people find it important to tell this story? What moved them to record these words? What was happening in the world around them at that time? And what does this tell us about how these people felt about God and humans at the time? What can we do with that? 
The first thing we've got to know when we look at the Bible is that, and this is as simple as it gets, maybe I'm too simple for you, but the first thing we've got to know is that at some point, somebody wrote something down. That's why you're reading it. Some point, somebody wrote something down. And I know that sounds really simple, but the truth is many of us start to feel like this thing fell from the sky at one point. That somehow it just floated down from heaven like manna and landed on the ground. And that's not the way it happened. That's not what the Bible is, and that's not what God ever intended for the Bible to be. It was written by human beings who wrote something down. And if you don't think of it that way, you've missed some points. At this point, all of these stories, if you can think of all the stories in the Bible, they are just a fraction of the amazing oral stories and the traditions, oral traditions that were told during these times. And when this is written, somebody had to choose from all of the stories they've heard. I don't know if you've, if you've got a family member um, who is a storyteller. My dad's a storyteller. And we'll get to the point now where um, he kind of just numbers them, you know, like we'll, we'll get to a point and he'll go, hey, John, number 13, I'm like, yeah, 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 that was, that was a good one, you know, because I've heard his story so many times. The older he gets, the more I go, you know what, tell me number 13 again, because I just want to hear it again. He's just an amazing storyteller, and stories have become a huge part of my life, and it's part of why I love to tell stories today, but the truth is, as much as we tell stories in my family, this was the only way to hand things down from one generation to the next at this point in history. And stories were everything, and they were everywhere. So when you read something from the Old Testament, or you read something from the New Testament, from the Bible, you go, why did this person who wrote this thing choose to tell this story? Because they've got all of these stories they could have told. Why did they choose to tell this story? I love 1 Kings chapter 11. While you're reading through the book of 1 Kings, which is about Solomon, and I know that can sound really boring unless you put it in this context and read a little bit about what it was like at that time and who was writing it and why he was writing it. 1 Kings says this, As for the other events in Solomon's reign, the writer of 1 Kings has got 11 chapters of just like all the things that he thought were important to hear about Solomon so far. And then he just has this moment where he says, and he did, and, and all the things that he did and the wisdom he displayed, and they are not written in this, are they not written in the book of the annals of Solomon? <laughs> like, aren't they written in another book? Aren't there other things, other places? And if you're reading this, you go, well, yeah, I suppose there are, but we don't have that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, these are the ones that I chose. Next slide, check this out. Um, the writers had a, all this material to choose from. John says this. He says, Jesus performed all these other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And he just flat out says, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't put in. And at the end, he says, if I were to record all of these things, it would fill up all the libraries in all the world. He basically, it's his way, his old way of saying to you, and a whole bunch of other stuff happened that I didn't write about. <laughs> there are more miracles. If you, uh, it always drives me nuts when I read about the, the number of miracles that Jesus performed. It's like, oh, well, that's ridiculous. Those are the ones that they wrote about. I mean, Jesus performed more miracles than that. We know he did. He had to have. These are just the people that were around when he did it. These are the smart guys that decided to write it down. These are the guys that had something to say about that specific miracle. You have to think about why this person chose to write it at this time. Next slide. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. These writers weren't just writing stuff down. Now, wake up for a minute and hear this. These writers that wrote the Bible weren't just writing stuff down. They weren't just historians. These writers, they, they were choosing what they wrote. They had intentions and they had agendas. Now that makes people mad. But the truth is, if you read the Bible void of the humans in it, you will miss the point. At one point, the writer John says, I'm writing this thing 
to you so that you will believe. I mean, that's, a per, that's an agenda right there. He's writing all, the, and he says it right up front. Read this stuff through the lens that I'm writing it so that you will believe. So people go, okay, so I need to get into my believe mode. He has an agenda. At one point, at, at one point, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says this, and I remember when I, I was a kid, um, I, I always heard, and when I got to Bible college, it got reinforced to me that God wrote all of this. That somehow these guys were, were sort of, and this was my picture, nobody told me this, but my picture was that these guys were sort of zombies, and God was guiding their pen as they wrote, and every single word came from God, and they just happened to be, like, why wouldn't God just make it like he, you know, just like show up instead of use the hand of, and the, the truth is, Paul at one point said, and I remember reading this in Bible college and going, well, this doesn't make sense with that statement, because Paul says, I, Paul, am writing to you. If God was using him as a zombie, why wouldn't he say, I, God, am writing to you? You know, Paul, from his perspective, the guy who had, had been a killer of Christians and now wants to lead the Christians, all of that is so important. The guy who had a problem with women and couldn't figure out what his physical ailments were. and He's got so many little baggage things. And if you read it void of those things, you will not only miss the point, but you will start to make up new rules based on Paul and his agenda, and his little idiosyncrasies. These were real people living in real time and real places. And if you miss that, you've missed the Bible. So God wants you to know that something, someone wrote this down. When you read the Bible, whenever you read it, pick it up, open it up to anything, think about the person who wrote it. Why did they write this? The second thing is he wants to use whatever you're reading right there to do something in you. Usually not to give you a new rule. Although, he has guidelines for life. But in the midst of that, what he wants to do is something that moves you forward in your life. And he intends for that to happen when you pick up the Bible. So, all of that said, I want to tell you about a man and a fish. Okay? Now, you've heard this story. I, I mean, I... I, I, I'm not going to even have you raise your hands. I'm just going to assume 100% of us have heard the story about Jonah being swallowed by some people thought it was a whale. The Bible calls it a big fish. Um, he gets thrown up on the shore at some point. And he has seaweed hanging off of him. And the, if you grew up with flannel graph, it's very explicit, you know, and very funny. And the kids usually make a joke about it. The truth is, we, I believe that we've put the wrong emphasis in this story from the very beginning. And if you tell this story to somebody who isn't a God person, if you tell this story to somebody who isn't a Christian or who wonders about God, they begin to immediately take away from the Bible. They start to say things like this, what a stupid story. Science shows it would be ridiculous for a man to be swallowed by a fish and still live for three days. And then Christians usually say something like this, well, God protected him in the belly of the whale. And then you can't argue with that, and then the person walks away going, man, that guy is just crazy. And you've both missed the point of the story. So if we apply our rules to this story of, of looking at the Bible, we would first ask, why did these people find it appropriate and important to tell us this story about a man named Jonah? And it's, I believe it's because they learned something profound about God, and that's usually how these things start. So if you're looking to teach your kids profound things about God, don't teach them stories about men being swallowed by fish. What are they going to do with that? I'll tell you what people have done with this. They've said, so obey God or you'll get swallowed by a fish. 
And one or two things happen. Either the kids grow up thinking that if they don't obey God, something really bad's going to happen, or they're scared to death to swim in the lake. And the truth is, that is completely missing the point of this story. So, a man named Jonah, who is a prophet. And a prophet at this time was somebody who spoke on behalf of God. They got to say words that God wanted to say to people. They got to go, and it was almost always the Israelites that these prophets talked to. The Israelites were the group of people that God had chosen from the beginning to say, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. He wanted to say with the Israelites, I want a new group of people who think different about me. Not that these are great people, that these are separate people, but I want to start with a small group of people, and I want to lead them down the road to getting closer and closer and closer to me until one day we are yet together again. And he started with the Israelites, and when he did, he rose up these prophets who would go into Israel, and they would, man, they would get to be some pretty big names, and they would be thought of really well, and they would go in front of their own people, and they would get to say, God says this to you, and God says this to you. Sometimes it would be harsh, and sometimes it would be good, and Jonah was one of those guys. And so God says to Jonah one day, I want you to go talk on behalf of me. And Jonah goes, well, that's what I do, God. What's next? What good news do you have for me to share? Or what bad thing do you want me to tell the Israelites? And God says, I don't want you to go to the Israelites. I want you to go to a place called Nineveh. And Jonah's like, ha, I'm sorry. I must have had something in my ear. I thought you said Nineveh. Wouldn't that be funny? Like a prophet from Israel going into the worst place in the world for Israelites. That'd be funny. So God, what did you really say? Yeah, I I said Nineveh. The Assyrians. And Jonah's first thought is probably not what you think of when you think of the Assyrians. You may not know anything about the Assyrians. You may not know anything about Nineveh. So if you read this story, of course you're going to make it about a fish. Because that's the only interesting part to you until you realize that the Assyrians and the Ninevites weren't just harsh people to the Israelites. You think terrorism and our culture is rough, and it is. In this culture, people weren't terrorized. They weren't scared to go to places and fly places. It happened to most of them on a daily basis. Israelites were getting ripped out of their homes by Assyrians, by Ninevites. They were getting ripped out of their homes, and they would take your daughter. This is how bad it was, and I want you to hear this because I want you to know what's going on in Jonah's heart at this point. They might take your daughter, and there's accounts of this, and they might do awful things to her in front of you, and make you watch over and over every home, every man, every daughter they could find. And God wants to save them? And you want me, God, to go to them? Yeah. So Jonah, it's not a story about disobedience. I mean, there's tons of stories about disobedience in the Bible. This is not a story about Jonah saying no to God. This is a story of Jonah going, I am not going to those people. And he uses those words in this text. Those people. So Jonah gets on a boat with people he doesn't know, and they're pagans. Now, think about who you are if you're listening to this story. I I want you to wake up, because I know this is not the most interesting sermon I've ever taught, but it has implications for every story you read in the Bible. If you think about who the people that were reading this story, or that had been told the story were, these were the Israelites, these were the people that agreed with Jonah. They would have looked at this and not go, Jonah should have obeyed God. They would have gone, yeah, Jonah, get on the boat and get out of there because they're killing my daughter. I knew a guy, or it was my daughter, or I had a guy that I know that had that happened to him. Those people, get away from them. 
So Jonah gets on a boat, and the crowd, as they hear the story, goes, yes, Jonah, don't help them. He gets on a boat full of pagans. Now, pagans are what the Bible calls anyone who doesn't really worship God. Now, they may worship other gods. In fact, at this point in history, and this is one of the incredible things about the Bible, there are so many gods, almost everybody worships something. They almost, all, almost everybody had a god of some house. So when they get on this boat, they get on the boat, and Jonah tells the people that are on this boat, here's what I did. My god, Yahweh, um, who they would have known about and been a little scared of probably, they, the, he has told me that I'm supposed to go over there, but I'm not. I've decided I'm getting on a boat. And he's probably told these guys on the boat all of the things that the Ninevites have done. All the things that have happened from the Assyrians to the Israelites. And the guys on the boat are going, well, your God said you should do this, but man, I wouldn't either if I were you. So the story continues, and the boat goes out to sea. And as the boat goes out to sea, Jonah goes to sleep. Now this is a hint in the story for me, and maybe it's because, maybe it's because I struggle the way I think Jonah might have. The Bible doesn't say this, but I believe Jonah may have had struggle with depression. Probably some anxiety, because they seem to go together i sense something in jonah that when things get really hard as the sea gets rough because that's what happens the sea starts going crazy there's a storm that comes in everybody goes nuts jonah retreats when things in my life when i get depressed the worse things get the more i retreat in fact i I often sleep that's what depression is things get hard and you just don't want to do it so you just give in jonah had this i think a moment of depression where in the midst of awful stuff in the midst of this thing god had asked him to do and all the all the imagery that conjures back up he just can't handle it he just can't take it i'm going to bed and i'm going to the bottom of the ship so he goes to the bottom of the ship and goes to sleep and the seas get worse and worse and worse and as it gets worse the guys start the guys that are on the ship the pagans start praying to their gods to save them and nothing changes it only gets worse and it keeps getting worse finally they start yelling to each other and going maybe it's that guy that we picked up maybe his god is mad I've heard that he parted the seas for his people. I've heard that he can control the winds and the earth. Maybe we shouldn't have picked him up. Maybe we shouldn't pick up hitchhikers anymore. Let's go wake that dude up and see if he'll repent to his God and go back. So they wake Jonah up and they start talking. And sure enough, Jonah says, yeah, I'm sure that's it. And Jonah does what depressed people do, and I know because I've been there. He awfulizes. That's what my counselor calls it. He awfulizes. He takes a bad situation, and he makes it as bad as he can make it at the time. And he goes, Millie, I just, I, 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 I'm sure it's this. I'm sure it's me. I know I did it. I'm sure I, I, it's all my fault. And then he just gets mad and angry and detracts. And he says, boys, I just want to die. Throw me over the ocean. Throw me over the side. And, and, and he, he doesn't say it self-sacrificially. He says it in that sort of a thing that we do when we're depressed or anxious or when the world's all about us. It's like, I'm a martyr all of a sudden. Throw me overboard and just kill me. Like a soap opera star. That's the way it feels. Just kill me. It'll all be better when I'm gone. Your mom has said that to you at some point. It'll all be better if I'm gone. The truth is, these guys decide, we got to let Jonah go. So they throw him over the edge of the boat. Now, Full disclosure here, I don't know what I believe about this story. I don't know what I believe about this story. I don't know if Jonah really went overboard or not. I'm not saying it's a lie. I'm, not, I'm saying it's a story. When I went to, uh, when, when I was a kid, we used to put up a Christmas tree in my house every year, and we would go outside in the woods and cut it down and bring it in. 
and it, so it had squirrels and stuff in it, you know. And um, we had this incredible, crazy stories I had growing up. And when, when we bring it in, I remember thinking, man, that thing, the ceiling is like 14 feet tall in our house. It was like a log cabin that does this. And that tree has to be 16 feet tall because it's doing this at the top, you know. And then every year we'd tell the story and people laugh because dad had to actually bring the chainsaw in the house to cut it off, you know, so smoke and stuff. Everywhere. That's how our Christmases were when I was a kid. And we finally get the tree in there and we tell stories and people laugh. And the more we tell the story, the more people laugh. And the more people laugh, the more we tell the story. And by 10 or 15 years, the tree is 22 feet tall. There was a family of squirrels living in it. And we have sent it off to America's Funniest Home Videos and won the whole thing. And the truth is nobody's lied. Nobody's, it's, it's, it's what we do as humans. We tell stories and we make points and they move forward. I am not saying that's what happened here. I am not saying that. But I'm saying that when I get depressed, I have dreams, I have thoughts that are the deepest, darkest things I can think of. And I don't know if that's what, jo- what happened with Jonah or not. But the Bible says, the story says he was thrown over the, the side of the boat. And when he, wa- when he got thrown over the side of the boat, a big fish, not a whale, a big fish ate him and sucked him in. Now, there have been studies by literal Christians who read this and say, we want this to be exactly like it says, so we are going to reproduce this. It is almost impossible for a human being to live in the belly of the biggest fish we know for three days and be spit out and live. Now, what those Christians say is that's a miracle from God, and God performed a miracle, and maybe that's true. You know me. You know my questions. And so at this point, with our kids, we say Jonah was thrown over because he didn't obey God, and a fish swallowed him because he didn't obey God, and he got left in the, in the tank, in the belly, in the digestive tract of this fish until he finally said, okay, it's like my kids, and this is the way we talk to my kids. Hey guys, um, you're going to sit there until you're ready to apologize. Have you said that before? That's what we think, that's what we tell our kids this story is. You're going to sit in the large intestines of a big fish until you're ready to apologize. Like somehow that's God's parenting skills and his method. And so then the story says that after three days, Jonah is regurgitated. (laughs) If that's too big a word for you, he was chucked onto the bank with seaweed hanging off of him. He is there. It absolutely, 100% could have happened exactly that way. God could do 12 times that if he wanted to, and he has. But the point is not a fish and Jonah. The point is a man who is at his depths, at the worst part of who he is. This story is not about disobedience or a fish. It's not. Jonah steps up from the bank. And whether he was dropped off after a terrible dream and an awful storm, or whether he was puked up by a big fish, I'm not sure. I'm 50-50. Sometimes I believe more one way or the other. In the long run, what happens next is the point. What happens next is the story. And if you're mad at me right now because I broke your idea of Jonah and the big fish, then you've probably already missed this point at some point in your life. And it is this, that Jonah got his whiny little bottom off of the beach and decided that these enemies he had were the point of his life. That this is why he existed. The people that hated him, the people that he hated, are the very people that God wanted to use to show him just how deep and how far and how wide the love of God is. Bigger than the belly of a fish. Bigger than disobedience. This was him saying, Jonah, look at how big my forgiveness is. So Jonah goes into Nineveh. I've never had an experience like this as a preacher in my life. 
He goes into the deepest, darkest corner of the world in his mind at that point. He walks in and he's like, hey guys, um, I don't know, any of you uh, want to follow God? And they all do. In fact, the king at that moment decides, not only am I going to follow God, I'm going to put what the Bible calls sackcloth. And it's this cloth that they would put, and they put ashes over their face to show God how sorry they were. And then he says this, and this is so cool. The Bible does this all the time. Anytime the Bible does something really weird, pay attention, because there's usually a reason. The Bible does something really weird here. The, the king says to Jonah, everybody in the kingdom needs to put sackcloth on and put it on your animals. Donkeys, sheep, cows, all of it. Everything that has breath and life right now in all of the kingdom needs to be repenting to God because we have missed the point and God is giving us another chance. Oh, man. Now, I've had sermons where I've walked away and like, in this room, like three people and a drug dealer have been baptized. I, I baptized a guy with an ankle bracelet from prison on once. One of the highlights of my life. I've done some amazing things, and when I leave, I'm like, holy cow, go find me somebody. I'm going into the prisons, I'm going down to the crack house, I'm going everywhere, and I was so excited. Jonah, when he leaves this entire city, walks away and goes, I just want to die. I just want to die. Now, we love to stop the story before that, we tell our kids, because we all are happy when we obey God, right? Because once we get regurgitated after we have decided that we're okay now and we've finally decided we're going to ask for forgiveness, then we're all happy and everything's good. Kids, go home. Let's sing Jesus Loves Me and go home. That's the way we tell the story. But the truth is it's more real than that. The truth is when the preacher goes home after a good Sunday, Monday comes and depression hits again. And you get to feeling like, wait a minute, God, I've been doing this all my life and the guy I just baptized gets to live however he wants and then all of a sudden comes to Jesus? and gets the same forgiveness and the same thing, Jonah decides, I've had it. These people don't deserve it. I can't believe God saved them after what they've done to my people. And he lays in the desert to die. Now you can see why they don't put that on flannel graph. (laughs) That's why they won't let me teach children's church, okay? (laughs) But if you're a grown-up, If you don't need a cartoon image of a fish to get excited about this, then you need to hear this. The point of this story is not a fish. It never was, it never has been. And if you make it about a fish, you'll miss the fact that it is about your life right this moment as a citizen of the United States of America. If you look at this, you'll say, boy, what an out-of-touch story about a big fish and a weird city and a weird dude and a boat and all this stuff. But if you look at it and you get the real story, you'll realize this is about how you feel about the Muslim culture right now. This is about you going, well, I don't care who Jesus saves as long as they don't save those people. You use the same language. You write it on Facebook. You do the exact same thing that Jonah and the Israelites were doing. And it's so much easier for you to talk about a fish than it is for you to realize that you have a bigoted heart, that you have a problem with forgiveness, that you want to be forgiven, but you want nobody else to be. So this morning, I'm I'm preaching from Jonah today, but this is bigger than that. Don't read your Bible looking for the easiest, most fun story to tell. It becomes Disney to your kids. It becomes impractical to you. Read your Bible 
for what God wrote it. Find out why he wrote it. Found out who was writing it. Come here and find out. And then leave here and go, well, that doesn't make sense to me. And go Google it and find out more. Because that's when the Bible digs into your heart. That's when these stories change who you are. So God ends the book of Jonah. Four chapters. Come on. Four chapters. Take you 15 minutes to read this. Even if you want to read two or three times the fact that he got puked up on the shore. It will take you 15 minutes to read this. Do it this week. Four chapters of the book of Jonah. I bet you have never heard some of the things that are said in there. Because you couldn't make a pretty flannel graph out of it. Four things. And the whole book ends not with a question from Jonah, but with a question from God. How cool is that? I got to end my sermon with a question from God today. Go back one slide, Tanya. Here's God's question for Jonah. Maybe for you today, too. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? All those people who have hurt you and messed up your life, don't you know that I love them too? Don't you know that I'm concerned about them too? Jonah goes, I do now. So, when this story was told to the next generation of people, band, you can come up because i got to stop. When this story was told to the next generation of people, to the kids, they didn't use flannel graphs, they didn't talk about fish much. What they talked about was, yeah, but dad, you called that man a, mm. yes, yeah, son, I was wrong, and we don't call them that anymore. In fact, not only that, but we pray that God will save them and their children. But dad, you and grandpa used to call them this. used to tell jokes. Remember that one about the... We don't do that anymore, son. Because God is doing something new in us. I'm speaking right to you today. In this culture in Paragon, do you know that there are African-American jokes that have been going on since 1950? Shut them down. Now. Because what God intends for the Bible to be and for history to be, is from the very beginning of time, when God chose the Israelites, He said, Ten commandments I give you, just ten things, and they're the simplest to you and me. They're like, Well, boy, I, this is all I got to do. I'm in. You know, just don't murder somebody. But at this point in history, this was a big deal. Worship only one God? Well, what happens when it rains? I got to worship the rain God. Nope, there's a God that's in charge of the rain and everything else. So He starts this. And he keeps moving throughout history. And he intends for every person that lives to get a little better tomorrow than they were today. But bigger than that, he intends for every generation of people who follow him to be better and closer than the next generation. That's why today we know that it breaks God's heart to have slaves. It breaks God's heart for one human to think they can own another human. God didn't just go in and make that change in people. It's happened slowly and it's evolved. And we gotta get better. Paragon needs to be different with your kids than it was with you. And if you sit here today and pass on the exact same junk that you grew up with, you're perpetuating a mess that God doesn't intend. I was going to hand you a little fish when I left just for the fun of it. Decided not to. Maybe today you just felt stuck in your faith. Did you know this thing, that it is a book, it really is. It doesn't glow. <laughs> if it fell from earth, it wouldn't be as important. 
If it fell from heaven and God, God just let it float to earth, it wouldn't be as important. It wouldn't be as effective in my life. And God knew that. So he had human beings that are messed up like me write it. And he said, this will change your life. This will help you move your kids from where they are to where they need to be. This will bring you the peace that passes all understanding. If you read it, if you study it, if you think about it, the way I wrote it and intended it for it to be in your life. If you're stuck in your faith, I wonder if you've really dug into the Bible the way it's intended to be. God is big enough for all your questions, whatever it is. When I was 17 years old and I set that church in Ellisville Christian Church, I have no idea who that speaker was. I can't even picture him. But I remember where I sat when I found out that God didn't get offended by my questions. He's big enough for all of them. Real faith asks questions. It just does. God cares most about how close you are to Him. He wants to use your story to change lives. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Jonah? Like someday in heaven, we run into Jonah, who won't speak English, by the way. Did you know that? Maybe we'll all speak the same language at that point, but he didn't speak English. So don't worry about what language you choose on the ATM machine. Because it doesn't matter. Most of the people in heaven don't speak English. And if you run into Jonah, you're going to say, man, how was it in the belly of the fish? And he's going to go, what? But you will say, thank you for living a life that even in the midst of the worst, most depressed moment of your life, like I get sometimes, you got to see what real forgiveness is at a big level. That changed my life, and it changed my kid's life. The, thing, the reason that God doesn't want you to miss the humanity in the Bible is because you, if you're not careful, you'll also miss your humanity here on earth. He wants you to be the next story. The stories continue, and you're the next one. Today is a good opportunity for you to start a new way of looking at the Bible. If you're bored by it, come see me because you're reading it you're doing it wrong. If the Bible bores you, you're doing it wrong. There's all kinds of ways to consume this thing. Come see me afterwards. Whatever it is today, I'm going to ask that during this song, you just say to God, God, would you, would you move me from where I am to where you want me to be? Just the next step. If I'm at B now, take me to C. Wherever it is. I'll give you that chance today. I'll be back in that corner if I can do anything for you. And I'm going to shut up because I've been talking a long time. I'll let God do his thing. Would you stand with us and sing?